0: Listening to Hope Signals with Mark and Susan Mason, the podcast of Life on the Verge Ministries. Hope Signals is a podcast where we offer practical principles and motivational insights aimed at helping people navigate their hopes and dreams. Well, I'm really excited about part three of uh, this series on Speak Easy because it's going to kind of, you know, it's, I guess a lot of what I've talked about is how we share the gospel with people and how we communicate the love of God to people and, um, and, and that's the Holy Spirit working in us that causes us to want to do that, to be the bottom line, to make God's priority our priority, and that is that none should perish. But most of us don't wake up every day going, I'm going to win the world for Christ. Most of us wake up every day going, what productive thing can I do to make a difference, to, to be important, to feel appreciated, uh, to provide for those that I love? You know, we have practical needs. And, and I just believe that all of this ties in, right? Because without other people, we cannot fulfill the potential that God's put in us. He designed us that way, not to be independent. Matter of fact, there's a proverb that says, he who isolates himself seeks his own desire. And another one that says, he that isolates himself rages against all sound judgment. We need other people to help us get where we're going in life. And and I don't mean other. We do need other Christians, but we need other people. You need a dentist. And it doesn't matter if that dentist is a Muslim or a Satanist. You need a good dentist. You need people to do repairs on your car or your house. We need people. And therefore, building relationships with people is critical. And so we've really got to pay attention to how we communicate. I said that we communicate through word, we communicate through deed, and we communicate through gesture. And so we were looking at the Apostle Paul and how he communicated the most important thing uh, at Mars Hill or in front of the Greek philosophers in Athens because he had reasoned in the marketplace in a tactful way some of the philosophers there in the market, I guess, took notice of what he was talking about. They called him a babbler and said, but we want to hear more about what he has to say. And they took him into this very important meeting of some of the wisest Greek philosophers of the day in Athens. And now he's speaking in front of them um, and uh, as a trained uh, Pharisee, he certainly had the advantage when it came to biblical literacy. He knew where he was coming from, and there's a lot of things he could have said to put them down, to burn bridges, call them idiots. It's, it says that he was provoked to anger. He was angry. He was angry in his spirit because the city was given to idols. And so, he could have been standing on the street corner yelling at the people about how much they were, you know, being deceived and how foolish they were and they needed to follow Christ. But he must have done it in such a tactful way that he built bridges that led, to him, it led him to this meeting in front of these wise philosophers. Now, again, you may never have a meeting in front of a bunch of wise philosophers where you share the gospel, but you certainly want to build bridges to get you to higher places of influence in life, which leads me to where I'm going to couple some of this uh, the this Bible account of Paul with a a fantastic book. It's it, it actually launched the motivational. Well, some say it launched the motivational craze, and that was a book by Dale Carnegie called "How to Win Friends and Influence People," and uh, and that's what we want, right? We want to we want to win friends, and we want to influence people to help us, not 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 deceive or fool, or we we want to influence people to 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 the win win right what's good for them what's good for us and how we can work together and synergize to accomplish our goals in life and so i don't know why in the world that i that book dawned on me uh this morning and i went and dug out a, i have a couple of copies of it but i have this old copy and i don't know where i got it but the book came out in 1936 and i have an edition from 1946 is how old this book is. Uh, I, again, I don't know where I got it. Um, but the it's the hardback copy. And uh, I was amused at the, at the price. In 1946, the hardback copy cost $1.96. <laughs> but you can find this book everywhere. It has become kind of a standard go-to Um book for really just a success kind of book. And so we're going to look at some of what Dale has to say, some of what some of the people that he quotes as we walk through how Paul in, in the most critical of meetings actually spreading the gospel to a new culture, how he communicated and how these kind of two work together and how you can apply it to not just I mean I said before that where where you go the Holy Spirit goes. Okay, so the higher you go in the world of influence, whatever your sphere of influence is in the world, then then the more you have an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to use you in that situation. You know, I'll be very cautious here because these people are my friends, but I have some friends in relatively high places in, uh, in the record industry, uh, you know, because of my son's success part of it. Um, and, uh, and I'm not, when I get around them, I'm, I'm not there to, to preach or even reason the gospel. I'm there to be their friend. But if in some way I'm able to say something just by living and speaking, by word, deed, and gesture, do things that, uh, build bridges to them and, uh, cause influence, you know, that's, that's fantastic, you know? I mean, I mentioned a while back, you know, the, so just some of the places that the Lord has allowed me to go because, listen, the old me was, i you know, I tell people I was raised a spiritual schizophrenic in that I was raised going to a Christian school that was extremely legalistic, Bible-thumping to the core, and then I would go to a church that was hyper-Pentecostal and um, and it was, yeah. You know, I thank God for all of it because the Word of God got planted in me. But what it did is it created a very legalistic guy, you know. And once I, I I came to the Lord, I surrendered my life to the Lord. I I got in the the Christian incubator. All my friends around me became Christians. They all agreed with me religiously or you know biblically or whatever. And uh, and I I lost the ability to effectively communicate well. With people outside of my of that world, outside of that bubble, and that happens to a lot of believers. And of course, you know, as believers, we we are in the world, not of the world, and we do need to be cautious and make sure that we are being the influence. Um, not to say that even unbelievers can influence us in areas of our life where we need it. Okay, M- my point is is that I used to have a very legalistic perspective, and it it really I think uh, cut off. You know, it it burned some bridges, and it cut off some avenues to achieving my potential. And we can all do that. We can do that with politics. We can do that with—let me back up there again and say, look, this is no slam on everybody that posts something political or everybody that—there's a time to stand up. There's a time when we—if that's the way we're going to make a difference. But one of the chapters—actually, one of the opening chapters of— of uh, uh, Dale Carnegie's book is titled, If You Want to Gather Honey, Don't Kick Over the Beehive. You know, that when we're dealing with people, remember, we're not dealing with creatures of logic. We're dealing with creatures of emotion, creatures that are bristling with prejudice and motivated by pride and vanity and criticism, which is when sometimes, I mean, that's what we do when we launch something that is clearly aimed at people that don't believe like we believe about a topic then we're, we're putting a spark out there that could set fire and burn bridges down. And so, let's go back to the Apostle Paul, and we'll go back and forth for a minute. I'm sure this will take more than one episode. I'm going to keep referencing uh, Dale Carnegie's book because I'm going to go through it again. I've <coughs> excuse me, read it before. It's a little dated, obviously. It was written in 1936, so his examples are dated. But the principles are tried and true. If you look this book up on Amazon, it has over 35,000, uh, you know, reviews, and it's like a five-star book. So if you've never read it, it is a worthy read if you want to win friends and influence people. Okay, so let's look, let's go back to Paul, and let's talk about what what Paul, how he was communicating the most important of all messages. His vocation, his calling was to do this, and so he... Uh, finds himself in front of these Greek philosophers, and he doesn't open up with a word of criticism. We went through it. He stands up there. We said that, well, first off, he's there because he genuinely cared about the condition of the people. He cared about their spiritual condition. Um, And so that's where we start. Before I say these words, before I do this deed, I I hit, you know, Or, or, you know, I post this thing on on social media. Is this coming from a heart that cares about people that uh, I would perceive are deceived that don't know the word? Or, you know, am I just doing this so that I get some, you know, applause from the choir, the people that agree with me? Is this going to be helpful in any way? Is this going to really make – is it worth the trade off? So before we communicate in word or deed or gesture, is it coming from a heart that really cares about people, all people? God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, that whosoever believes um, would have eternal life. And so, let's go. Let's get. He cared about their condition, and because of that, he reasoned with the people in marketplace. He finds himself invited to talk to this huge group of people. Uh, because of his tact, uh, this huge group of Greek philosophers, and he starts out by complimenting their curiosity about religious things. Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you're a very religious people. And then he quotes something right off the idols that he despises. He quotes, one of your own idols has this inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, I'm here to worship uh, or to talk to you about the one that, um, the, the real God. And so, uh He's using yeah, – I found this very – effective. let me give you a great illustration. Now, as God was kind of loosening me up a little bit as a youth pastor, um, if I quote something, I could go at kids that were into maybe some music that I thought – could be harmful if they followed that culture. Again, music can't be Christian or unchristian. It's either good or bad. And there is some bad music out there that leads, that helps, okay? It's an advertisement for some very negative and hurtful things in the lives of young people, uh, you know, 13, 14 years old. So I could get up with a copy of Rolling Stone or whatever magazine, and I could slam it across the floor and say it's of the devil and da-da-da-da-da. Well, I'm just burning bridges when I do that. Now, if I got up and I quoted, I was making a point, and I quoted a lyric from whoever, you know, uh, Jay-Z or whatever, then I might have their attention. I know something about their world. And I didn't do it in a condescending way. I did it in a way that, that you know, well, you know, this artist says this. I'm here to tell you this. You know, he makes a good point in saying this, but let me, let me tell you there's more to the story. That's what Paul was doing. Then he goes on to start appealing to the philosopher's uh, sense of of importance and calling. He says, in him we live and move and have our being. He's the one that created us. He's the one that determined where we're going to live. That's verse 24 through 28 in Acts chapter 17. He appeals to their purpose. You know, the number one selling book of all time in the Christian sphere anyway As of 2006, because I'm drawing this quote from from my old book, I imagine it's much more now, but as of 2006, Purpose Driven Life by Pastor Rick Warren had sold 30 million copies. People want to know they have purpose. Did you know uh, that, I'm going to read a little more from from Dale Carnegie's book, just he quotes a certain uh, psychologist who says that, we, have, we all have certain needs in life. This is a professor named John Dewey that uh, Carnegie quotes in this book. He says, Almost every normal adult wants these things, these eight things, health and the preservation of life, food, sleep, money and the things that money will buy, life in the hereafter, sexual gratification, the well-being of our children, and number eight, the feeling or a feeling of importance. That is absolute. That's what I want to appeal to right now. Paul was appealing to their sense of calling, their their sense of a, a purpose of why they exist, and he was telling them that, that God is the one that created us and gave us purpose. When we are communicating with people and dealing with people, we need to realize that that's what we're all after is a, is a feeling. of, of not, not hyper-importance, not false importance, but significance, that we matter, that we're making a difference. We all want that. Listen, it's, it's why we, you know, crack a joke on Facebook. We, we want to be noticed. I mean, admit it. It's why we wear the clothes we wear, drive the car we drive, uh, build the house we live in, you know, aspire to do great things. We want to be noticed. We want to contribute. We want to count we want to be, or feel, or thought of, be thought of as important. You know that's true. Of course we do. Uh, it's why criminals do what they do. Well, to some degree, it is they want to feel important. You know, and so we can certainly we can go about that in destructive ways. Choose things that are harmful to ourselves and others to achieve some feeling of importance. Um, It's why, you know, the gang lifestyle, you know, people want to be associated with something that makes them look important. It's, in some ways, why I chose some of the friends that I had growing up. I wanted to be known as an associate of this person because their cool status is a little higher than mine, (laughs) right? So we all have this longing to be appreciated, to count, to be important. And if we realize when we're looking, most of the time we, we... We spend time thinking about our own importance, and am I coming off right? Am I, you know, gaining some points? But if we would realize that when we're talking to people, when we're building bridges to people, that that is a longing in their spirit, is to feel important. It's why even billionaires, that list of things, the first seven things, I don't know about the life hereafter, that's between them and God, but Once we have food, once we have shelter, once we have a nice car, once we have all the things that money can buy, what now can I do? Well, it's why they build hospitals. It's why they contribute big endowments to colleges, is they want to be noticed. Even though they will die with millions or even billions that they would never spend, it is this quest. They want to have it because they're pursuing this longing of feeling important. So let's get back to why this is very important for us to understand, not just for the sake of sharing the gospel, but I would hope that a lot of folks, as they get older, as they retire, as they, you know, even, even as you get married, build a, build a family and all, your sphere of influence shrinks instead of expands. What does that mean? Well, that means that it's it's hard to influence people for the Lord if you're not expanding as a, as a person, as a human, in your sphere of influence, whatever that may be. So we should want to expand. I used to say when I was a youth pastor, um, if there's people in this town that, that don't know me, they need to. Uh, now, I meant that because, you know, I carry the gospel around in me, and and I can be an influence for the gospel so that being our end game, making God's priority our priority, but the the short game, the game in this life, so to speak, is that we're we're building bridges so that we can have influence and maybe be used of God in a greater capacity, but also to find greater prosperity, a, a, a better sense of importance, to be more appreciated for ourselves, and there's nothing wrong with that. So... But understand that we, we're going to reap what we sow, so if we're not sowing things that that help others feel significant, to help others feel important, to meet that need in their life, when we're talking about meeting the needs of people, sometimes we think that just means giving them food or giving them shelter or looking out for the homeless. No, people crave encouragement. People their self esteem is starving, and they're going to extremes. You know, you look at—I uh, I, don't—just some of the things that get posted online. Um, I can see right off it, it's a—it's a cry. Notice me, notice me. Tell me I'm important. Tell me I'm pretty. Tell me I look cool. Okay, you see it every day. Just open up Facebook or Instagram, and you ain't got to scroll along, and you'll see something that this is a cry for. Uh, that sense of importance and significance. I'm not a psychologist, but I get that totally. And uh, and so did Paul when he was sharing with the uh, the philosophers. He understood that that they they're, they're up there with their big robes and and their titles as philosophers because they're on a quest for significance and importance to be noticed, to be counted, to make a difference. Even though they were on the wrong track so how do we build bridges with this in mind that lead to uh, m- meeting our need to feel significant and important and listen there's nothing again I don't I don't think I, th- I think that God put that in us the quest to to make a difference in life to be appreciated in life I tell inmates all the time there's there's something worse than the loss of your physical freedom and that is the loss of a sense of purpose. And so, yes, it gets trying because we have our own needs. We want our own needs to be met. But by faith, because I said, because we have hope, we can have faith, and we can act in faith. So even while we're in the rut and we're, we need encouragement, if we will somehow, by faith, sow encouragement to meet the need of someone around us that, that we know they have the same needs as us when it comes to wanting to be appreciated— if we will dig that out and we will sow seeds of encouragement, seeds of appreciation, seeds that make others feel significant, we will reap that. Okay? Um, from the lips of a, mount, a man's mouth, his stomach is filled, uh, is what the proverb said that we said in the first episode. It, listen. I can remember, let me give you one example. My uh, my Uncle Homer, who's gone to be with the Lord, he suffered from Lou Gehrig's disease. It was terrible, but the Lord took him early. He didn't go too far suffering, um, but he made a profound difference in my life when I was just a little hairbag pothead and just started playing guitar. Me and my brother were in our bedroom with my Marshall half stack cranked wide open, just, man, just making a terrible racket that I know was getting on the adults' nerves that were in the house. But my Uncle Homer was in town, and uh, we took a break. We come downstairs, and m- uh, my aunt actually came to me and said, you know, I was listening to you guys, and and I was talking to Homer, and Homer, I asked Homer, do you think that they could actually do something with music one day? Now I was probably only 14 or 15. And, and, and she said, Homer said, oh yeah, I think they got it. I, I, I think that they, they really could do something with it if they stick with it. Now, I hadn't had much encouragement from men, especially sown in my life, but I never forgot that. That made a huge—it made me play all the harder. And it made, I, I actually had the privilege and the honor decades later of doing the memorial service for my uh, Uncle Homer after he passed away. What an honor. I never forgot those words of encouragement. Even now, I get chill bumps when I think about how that impacted me. Now, is it great to have been able to make my living largely by doing something I love with music? Yes. But to be used in a way that I could say or do something that I I, may—I don't think I ever told Homer the impact those words made. One day in heaven, maybe we'll have the conversation— but the point is, is that is there are there words that I could speak to someone that I could sow into someone's heart that would profoundly make a difference in their life? You know that that can't be bought, and uh, and it brings a sense of the importance that we need. So anyway, back to wanting to sow words of encouragement, not not you know, he cautions. Uh, the whole first part of the book is is Dale Carnegie cautioning against criticism. Now, there may be a time for constructive criticism, but a lot of criticism is destructive criticism. When someone criticizes, when they gossip, when they slander, many times it's to make themselves feel more important or better than. And so we want to get away from that. That's why the Bible warns against it. We want to be people that are meek which is not weak there's a time to stand up there's a time to flip over the temple tables and swing a whip around like Jesus did there's a time for that when when the rubber meets the road but man that's that's kind of last resort and it's something that we're we're led by the spirit to do and we're going to stand up and we're going to do do something that we know <coughs> is apt to Burn some bridges, and I'm not going to say there aren't some bridges that need to be burned. But there's probably a whole lot more bridges that need to be built in life than burned, and so we better do that very, very selectively. So, getting back to the, the people's need for importance, their need for encouragement, how do we how do we sow that? There's a difference between flattery and genuine appreciation. So we don't run around going, oh, you look pretty in that dress. Oh, I love that. Just throwing out vain flattery. People recognize that. You recognize that. I recognize that. The, The difference is that flattery is insincere. It's not coming from the heart. It's only coming from the mouth. And people recognize that's just you trying to get one up on them. But sincere Encouragement, sincere appreciation is something that comes from the heart. And I have to believe that the Apostle Paul, when he spoke to those philosophers, it was coming from his heart that he really did appreciate the fact that they were interested in spiritual things. So much so that he studied their idols enough to be able to quote them and quote their own poets. You know, he took time to really see where they were coming from, and then, of course, he's going, to, he's going to go down the path of trying to correct their course, but he starts with words of genuine uh, appreciation for their interest in, in, in spiritual things, their curiosity in spiritual things. And so, I hope I'm not confusing this too much. You may never well, you may in your workplace or in a conversation with a, a friend that doesn't know the Lord. You may have an opportunity to be, build a bridge to them and share the gospel with them. Um, you, you need to start by complimenting um, whatever you can from the heart. Look for the good in people. That's what we need to do. We need to look for the good in people. And right now, uh, if you're a politician, you're going to get crucified by one side or the other. Back up and go, wait a minute example at hand right now um, Trump is not all bad he's not all good Biden is not all bad he's not all good they're coming from two completely different places but one would hope they both have at least <laughs> some desire to make our country better that that's that's their goal and so as we, Look at people. We've got to realize that not everything about them is bad because I disagree with them on a certain point. You know, uh, he talks about in the book, Dale Carnegie does, about Charles Schwab, you know, the great financier. No, I'm sorry. It wasn't Charles Schwab. It was it was um, Ralph Waldo Emerson said, every man I meet is my superior in some way in that I learn of him. Again... We are not called to be independent people. We're called to be interdependent. The human race is interdependent on each other. So we can learn from people that we completely disagree with on certain topics. We don't have to demonize everybody. I can probably find a Beyonce quote that makes sense that could be used for a positive purpose, even though I'm not a fan of Beyonce. You hear what I'm saying? So when we're speaking, whether we're speaking—a great example of how we could easily burn a bridge is, you know, we start talking politics with somebody at a, at a you know dinner party or something where a bunch of people are gathered, and we don't know where they're coming from, and we immediately snap off, Biden's such a freaking idiot. Well, boom, not off to a good start. You see what I'm saying? You're, you're not just criticizing Biden. You're criticizing that person— for following Biden or Trump, it could be either way. I'm gonna go a little bit over time with this this example. I got a couple of examples I want to share with you, and I, and I pray that you'll you'll stick with me because this one's gonna go a little long. But uh, you know, I put my name out on Bandmix. I told you about that. It's a place where musicians find each other, and I randomly met this guy who turned out in our whole. Metro, actually, most of Virginia, I mean, it's a national website, but you put your zip code in and it reaches out 50 or 100 miles around of people that are in your area that you might want to partner with and play music. So this guy found me and uh, turned out he lived probably less than a quarter mile from my house. And when I would go jogging, I would jog past the front of his house all the time. So we met. And uh, it's funny because I told him right out of the gate, well, you live right around the corner from me. I might as well tell you I'm a pastor. He said, that's all right. I'm a beer-drinking Baptist. And we started getting together and uh, messing around with music. And, you know, I could tell by listening first that he probably was more in the liberal vein of politics. And uh, I didn't agree with him on some things. But we made jokes out of it once we discovered where we were coming from. And we were both probably a little more, you know, centric, not extreme, But I didn't (coughs) start off by coming at it from my view as superior to yours. Uh, And we played music together for maybe, I don't know, six months or a year. And that was all the way back in 2010, probably. To this day, that man and his wife are our friends, and they have contributed thousands of dollars to Life on the Verge. There are still areas where we might not agree but we chose to focus on the areas where we could accomplish something together. And so, again, building bridges to people not only benefits them, they're our dear friends. We love them. We pray for them. We care about their family the best that we can from a distance, even though we don't see them that often. Uh, one last example. I had a young, uh, well, they weren't young. They were closer to our age couple. Well, I'm young, okay, but this is back in 2010. They were coming to our church. You pastors, listen up. They were coming to our church. They filled out a volunteer form wanted to get involved. I noticed that they had different last names but the same address, which meant they were probably living together, cohabitating unmarried. Well, in my legalistic background, you know, it's biblical to say that, well, that's that's inappropriate. Is it gonna send you to hell? I'm not gonna certainly not gonna say that, but it's 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 sin according to the Bible. Sin is missing the mark. It's not God's best plan. It's not gonna lead you to the destination that you really want. And so I had the option of just slamming these folks on the head with a Bible and saying, This is what this says and you guys need to straighten this out. I kinda of chose to put it aside. For months, they came to church, and slowly they got involved to where they became more of a face of our church. They were, they were leading or they were deeply involved. Everybody started to know them. And now I was really feeling like I've got to address this because for me not to is to give approval to it. So how do I deal with this? I prayed about it. I labored over it because by now I've gotten to know them and, and they're wonderful people. But I just feel like I, as a pastor, as a shepherd, um, I, I need to address this. And so finally, one Sunday, I walked in. And I said, "You know what? Tonight is the or today is the day. We're going to go to dinner with this these folks, and we're going to sit down. And we're going to have a chat, and we're going to talk to them about this this thing that I feel needs to be corrected if they're going to continue to be a face of our church." And I walked into church, man, it was I was just really, uh, I don't know, suffering in my spirit having to do this because, again, they become uh, just closer, not yet friends, but just wonderful folks. They were deeply dedicated to what we were trying to accomplish. And I walked into church, and the, the lady side of things walks up to me, holds up her left hand with a wedding band on it and says, "'Guess what we did this weekend.'" <laughs> I was like, thank you, Jesus. This is the importance of being led by the Spirit, not just going by the letter of the law. This is what the Bible says, therefore, I'm going to go after you the first opportunity I have. Now, that was 2010. This couple, who I bet we've only seen half dozen times, if that, since because we left the church to launch Life on the Verge, They have probably given tens of thousands of dollars to Life on the Verge since we began. Friends, if we will use tact and we will speak easy, we will build bridges that not only help other people and open up opportunities to share the gospel with people, but we help ourselves. Hope that helps. We'll be back with part four. Hope you're getting something out of this. Bless you. Thank you for listening to Hope Signals. You can learn more about us at lifeontheverge.com. We're a completely donor-funded ministry that carries the good news to prisons around the United States. You can help us by sharing this podcast, by partnering with us with a tax-deductible gift at lifeontheverge.com, or by even talking to your leader or pastor about having us come and minister at your church or your business.